Hello and welcome back to the Fearless Training Raw Knowledge Podcast with myself, as always, Alex Connor, where we talk about everything training, nutrition, and lifestyle, respectively, in a very unapologetic, raw, and freestyle manner. And today I've got a very special guest, someone who I was able to reach out and connect with recently as he was here in the Gold Coast going around doing some presentations and some workshops or if you like symposiums with some of the like-minded and very intelligent human beings. My guest today is none other than the one, the only, Danny Lennon. Now, a little bit about Danny Lennon, as you'll find out in this episode. He is the founder of Sigma Nutrition and the main man behind the content creation on the site. He's known for hosting his also top-ranked podcast, Sigma Nutrition Radio. If you haven't already heard of that, shame on you. Please check it out. Danny is also a respected educator in the field. He's spoken at conferences and events all over Europe, including London, Dublin, Amsterdam, and Vienna, and obviously now Australia. Danny has a master's degree, MSc, in nutritional sciences from the University College of Cork, during which time Danny completed his research thesis directly under the world-renowned vitamin D researcher, Professor Kevin Cashman. In addition to the research, Danny took classes in biochemistry, clinical nutrition, micronutrient interactions, and physiology. Previously to this, Danny also completed a BSc degree in biology and physics education and spent a year teaching these subjects. In the past, Danny has worked as a nutrition practitioner with a wide variety of clients. He became well known for his role as a performance nutritionist to professional mixed martial artists and boxers. He oversees the Sigma Nutrition online coaching service in which a number of excellent coaches work one-on-one with a wide array of clientele. Outside of the nutrition world, Danny is a powerlifter, BJJ blue belt, and lifelong Arsenal fan. Danny also spends a lot of time reading and learning about cardiovascular disease, prevention, and risk modification. More specifically, lipoproteins and atherosclerosis development. You can find him on Instagram at Lennon underscore sigma, and we'll also put a few more links at the end to his websites and where you can find and keep in touch with him for all the latest. Now in this podcast, we get into the background of Danny, how he started, how he started the podcast, why he started the podcast. He offers a few tips for those of you who are thinking about doing a podcast or putting some content out there and with which how you may want to go about it. We also talk about some of the things that are not talked about enough, in my opinion, within the training and nutrition realms, and that are the factors that relate to lifestyle. Also, the factors of being human, being able to personalize and individualize your programming to your clientele. We also delve into a few other valuable topics as well, and it was a very natural flowing conversation, and one of which we may have to continue as there is a lot to talk about on this subject, and there's many more as well that we can unbox if you like. So without further ado, enjoy this latest podcast with myself and Danny Lennon. All right, Danny, welcome to the Fearless Training Raw Knowledge Podcast. Thank you for joining me today. We appreciate your time. How's everything going on your end? Yeah, all is good, man. Thanks for uh, asking me and uh, happy to come and talk about this stuff. Yeah, man, we uh, we appreciate it. I'm sure we'll uh, cover some pretty interesting topics and hopefully the listeners will be able to take some golden nuggets out of it as well. Now, currently you're still in Australia. and Correct. You're in Perth at the moment. You've been here speaking at some seminars. Let's start with a little bit about what you're doing currently, and then if we can segue into what you do specifically and how you ended up getting into it, just for people perhaps who don't know you and uh, for those who do, getting to know you a little bit more. Sure. So I'll give the probably quick overview, and then we can go into any specifics that you want. So I run a company called Sigma Nutrition, which I've been doing so for the past five or six years, which aims to put out educational content around nutrition. Um, so we're probably most well known for the podcast Sigma Nutrition Radio, as well as I do quite a lot of seminars and conferences, stuff like that. And then the other aspect of the business, we also have an online coaching service uh, where there are three coaches uh, that work with all sorts of types of people. Um, uh, personally, I 
in the past as a nutrition practitioner have worked with a lot of combat sport athletes and have ended up writing a lot of stuff about that specific area. How I kind of got into the nutrition field was my undergrad degree was originally biology and physics. And I actually from there ended up going being a teacher, a high school teacher for a year after doing that. Um, but during that time throughout college, my main interest was looking into things like nutrition and performance. And it was really just out of anyone's own interest for themselves, looking into this stuff. And because when I went to uni, I started learning how to read research. I started in my own time just saying, well, I wonder what I can find that will help me when I'm playing sport or in the gym and so on. And so that kind of led me to stumble across nutrition science, kept reading that stuff in my spare time. And then after a while, even when I was teaching, I was like, uh, I think I'll quit this and go back and do this nutrition thing. Uh, so I went back and did my master's in nutritional sciences. And then from there, started Sigma Nutrition. So, and then that's kind of been it. And one thing's led to the next and kind of here we are, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So it's been a bit of a, a process and a, and a journey, if you like, up until this point. What inspired you to start the the podcast was it again that curiosity that you had with nutrition and being able to speak with other like-minded people and kind of derive more information i guess not only for your own benefit but also to mm. kind of i guess share that knowledge mm. yeah it was probably a combination of a few things so at that time when i was setting up the website and was doing some coaching and was thinking about what what ways can i reach people and put out content and the kind of initial thought that I think a lot of us fall into this trap of thinking, well, we should just do everything, right? The more stuff I do, then the more ways I'll be able to reach people. So I was like, I'm gonna start a YouTube channel, I'm gonna be writing articles every week, I'll do this podcast thing. And, and at the time, podcasting wasn't really big at all, um, at least compared to what it is now. It's like, it was like a tiny proportion of what it is now. But I used to listen to them, and I thought, well, I like listening to podcasts, so I'll, I'll, I'd like to do one, I'll give it a shot. Um, so I started doing that and pretty soon found that that was the one that I was both enjoying doing the most, but also was getting the most traction. And so that was probably just because uh, it probably suited the skills that I had. And also that in combination with just enjoying it meant that I stopped doing videos, stopped trying to write articles as frequently and just went more full on with, with the podcast. And I think uh, that's what I try and suggest to people that's not that podcasting is inherently better than any of those it's like finding which one suits your skills and preferences most and then going with that um so that's really how it came about just trying these different things and finding okay this one seems to be working well and i'm enjoying it so i'll just do more of it and uh that allowed me to stay doing it for long enough for it to kind of reach uh, a point where it could be deemed successful, I guess. Mm. Yeah, I think it, uh, it's an important point there for people. I know it's something we discussed on a prior conversation where you said it's not about podcasting being the best. And, and maybe you got into it at a point where it was uh, not as popular, which is probably not a bad thing. And now, obviously, we see it um, as quite a rise in popularity. A lot of people are doing podcasts. Mm. It's great. Seems to be a movement to the future, and it is such a great way to stream information. It's very efficient. Um, but you said, you know, like find what you're good at. Uh, find something, I guess, that works for you, your style, your business. Whether it is YouTube, or whether it is you know podcasting, whether it is face to face, or mm. ever new technologies come out. So I think that's um, an important point to mention because, like you said, it's easy to get caught up trying to do. You said at the start there, you try and do a bit of everything, and yeah. um, you can end up getting overwhelmed i guess that's it and, and you you can't put the effort into the thing that you should really be focusing on that you're going to be best at and it will best serve people because you're going to spread yourself too thin and also some people can tend to feel like they're failing at something and it's purely because they're trying to do things that they're, they're putting time into something they shouldn't bother with and just go and do things they're more successful with so i i know people who are like super successful that are but will have like one main thing and they don't bother with the rest. So like they may have like a really popular YouTube channel, but they, they don't have a podcast. They never write articles, right? Similarly, I know someone's built huge business off the back of only writing articles, would, would never do a podcast, would never be on YouTube. Uh, there's people now that will only have 
um, Instagram is their only hub where you can find them that are being successful on that. They don't website, they don't do podcasts, and do video, just go complete with Instagram. And that means that they can put more dedicated effort into serving those people. Um, and so it's not to say you can only do one, but know what your kind of strengths are and your preferences and kind of orientate what you're doing around that, I think is a, a pretty useful way to go. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a bit of a hidden message, I guess, in there in terms of a principle we should all apply is, you know, find that one thing that you're good at, you can do well and you enjoy, but then stick to it, whatever that is in whatever field. And it's like people jumping job to job. You kind of need to find that thing and, and give it time and really work on it. And if it works for you, then you can obviously add on or just stick with it. Mm -hmm. um, I think the basics are the best. Now, I will ask this question because I know some people watching will probably apprehend or want me to ask this um, because a lot of people now are wanting to start podcasts of their own. If mm. someone's thinking of starting a podcast or wanted to find out if it's good for them, apart from being the obvious, you know, being able to communicate and ask, you know, I guess, intelligent questions for the most part, uh, what, what would you recommend uh, as a starting point or maybe for someone who wants to test the waters and get into mm. podcasts? Thing as someone who has a very you know a successful channel and is very consistent with with your guests and your upload yeah uh, probably the first one is, is the same with anything that they're probably doing business wise is is just being clear on what the goal of it is so who are the people that are likely to be listening to it what do you want them to get from certain episodes and then from there you can start thinking well what way can i deliver information that will be useful and that can be beyond um, in an interview-based podcast, which obviously work really well, but they might find, okay, I'm, I'm aiming for people who are super busy, that don't really have time to look into this, that maybe don't have really any background in nutrition training. So I'm going to do a podcast where it's just a 10-minute max episode where I'm just going to give them one main tip to focus on. And that could be one type of podcast. Then on the complete other spectrum, you can have something like, Joe Rogan's podcast where you're like a minimum of three hours per episode, right? So it's, there's no, that's a good thing, I guess, about podcasting. There's no one right way to do it. It's just doing what is going to be useful for you and the people you're trying to reach. So who is it you're trying to reach? What way can you do it? And then probably give yourself, okay, I'm going to aim for, I'll do six episodes before I decide whether to continue or not. Um, I'll do those see how it goes, see how I feel after it. And then if I'm enjoying it and it's going well, then I'll continue. And if it's just taken away from my business and being a distraction, then I'll get rid of it. So there's no real big rules that I can point them to. Um, if it's more on an interview based podcast, then like you said, I think the big thing is trying to ask interesting and novel questions, particularly if you're talking to someone who has been on several other podcasts before trying to have something that's even a slightly bit different or approach things a bit differently or ask them something they maybe haven't talked about before. I think that that can all work well. And just ask things that you're curious about yourself of having faith that if you want to know the answer to a certain question, there's going to be enough other people that probably want that question asked too. Um, the main thing that I think people or, and these guests will say about mine is that um, not only is there that kind of hopefully interesting questions for them but actually listening to your guest and asking questions that naturally arise off the back of that i yeah. think the it's great to prepare but i don't think it's good to script out exact questions in like a bullet point list and you're just going to run through them because then as you're listening something interesting might pop up and you don't you can't follow that up with an interesting question you just move on to a completely new topic yeah. um so just yeah, it's just the it's the art of conversation in some ways, right? You can have a general outline of where you want to go, but still be able to listen and answer or ask interesting things off the back of that is where a lot of the good conversations come. So yeah. uh, there are some things off the top of my head, but like I said, there's no set rules depending on what you're trying to do. Um, so have fun with it. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I, I, that last part is probably one of the most important, right? I mean, you've got to have fun and enjoy it because otherwise, what what's the point? Mm. It'll eventually sort of fall down. Right. Identifying, you know, who your audience is, I think is really good, uh, as you mentioned. And then, you know, I guess finding, like, it's trial and error, as we just mentioned before. It's one of those things that you find your way. There's not really, um, 
a set method that works. And I really like what you said about making it kind of organic and authentic, like letting it flow. I think that's what I try and do mainly because I don't shut up and I can talk a glass eye to sleep, but <laughs> it's having that conversation where if you don't listen, uh, you, you might miss out on a lot of great information if you just, like you said, you stick to the script. And I mean, it, it's again, it, it seems that it does seem a bit um, fake if you're just sticking to a script where if you just let it flow and then you go, all right, okay, I'm listening. And the, there's a question that's come off that and okay, let's delve down there and there and there. And then before you know it, you've got lots of topics. And then if it doesn't arise or it doesn't flow that way, as you said, you've got those key questions to ask or there's always something to fall back on. Mm. So you've got some sort of structure, which, which I think is good. And then yeah. uh, like you said, having, having a bit of fun with it and make, making it different because that is that um, when you talked about, you know, I think a lot of people now are getting interviewed, you know, you look probably yourself, you've done a lot of podcasts, you know, you look at like Eric Helms, et cetera, on a podcast every week. The, he's probably regurgitating a lot of information, not because he wants to, but because people are asking the same question. So I guess if you come at it from a, a slightly different approach and you can d try and derive something different, not only is it refreshing for your guests, but you might get some different information so that people want to tune into your podcast. They go, well, it's Eric Helms, but oh, hang on a minute. What are we talking about here? Oh, that's a little bit left field on this podcast rather than oh, it's the same, same rhyme and rhythm all right. the time. So I think that's a really good point uh, for people listening. And one more thing on that topic before we move on is how do you approach getting guests on your podcast? Because I found even in my very, very short time um, creating podcasts, people have already said, how do you actually get, get people? How do you mm. contact people? Um, and for me, it's obviously reaching out, um, whether it's through social media or an email like I did with yourself. But do you have a different approach and a different method? Because you are very, very consistent with your podcast mm. and you have a variety and a multitude of guests uh, and there's a lot of great knowledge on there. So what is your thoughts on that, mm. Danny? Yeah, so I think the um, obvious statement to make is it it, uh, it will depend on where you are at with the podcast at that time. So where I'm now compared to when I was first starting, my approach is going to be slightly different. However, I would say to people, even if you're first starting out, don't let this kind of fear of, well, no one's going to want to come on podcast stop you because you'd be surprised about just asking people what will happen. And sure. when you think of that from a kind of human side, it makes sense, right? What are you asking someone to do? Hey, do you want to come on my podcast? And I want to talk about you and your life's work for an hour. It's like a lot of people will find that. Yeah, sure. I like talking about myself or my work. Um, and I find that particularly with people, if they're involved in research, for example, there's not too many cases outside of academic conferences where they're getting asked about their work specifically. And I mean, they're, they're putting so much time and effort into it. It's kind of cool. Um, so that said, obviously, everyone is pretty busy. And so the biggest thing is trying to demonstrate that it's essentially worth their time. So for me right now, it's um, it, it becomes a lot easier, of course, over time, because a lot of people I'll reach out to have either already heard of the podcast, have known someone else close to them that's been on it, um, or I can show them the kind of like download numbers, and then they can kind of immediately see, okay, this is worth my time. I'll reach X amount of people. Um, but even starting out, simply contacting someone and say, I've got this podcast. My audience is typically this type of person, and I'd love to expose them to your ideas that I've found really useful, um, which would be interesting coming on sometime. Uh, if not, totally cool, uh, completely understand, feel no obligation to reply to this. And most of the time when people get a like a respectful request like that and they can make it work, a lot of people are pretty good. They'll, they'll try and make something work if they can. Um, so you can't reach everyone, but just don't be worried about that. Make a list of those people that you'd like, reach out, and you'd probably be surprised about how many are willing to do it. And then over time, it'll get easier to reach more of those people that are maybe hard pressed for times or, or quote unquote bigger names where they can yeah. now see that you've reached a certain level of this podcast. But uh, yeah, I would say to people, just reach out in a very human way. That doesn't need to be any particular tactic. Um, for me, I think what has worked well also is that a lot of the people I will ask, I've probably had some initial correspondence. So if it's like a researcher, for example, I would have came across one, some of the research papers, 
Um, I might have emailed them to ask them a particular question about some of it because I've been reading it. Um, and then off the back of that, I can ask them, hey, I've got this podcast. Do you want to come and talk about some of this work? And so already then you've been in contact with them. You demonstrate that you actually have looked at what their work and you're actually interested in it. And then you just ask. And if they can make it happen, great. And if not, no worries. So that's been my process of not really too much tactical stuff. <laughs> it's like just literally be human about it and you'd be surprised about who wants to come and talk. Yeah, I think uh, if you don't ask, you don't get at the end of the day, right? Right. If you don't ask that question, at least, it's good that you went over that because I think people just need to hear anyway, especially from people who have an established podcast and a bit of a record. Because a lot of time people don't even believe it. You know, they're like, oh, really? It's like, well, yeah, at the end of the day, we're all human, right? I think that's something mm. that I, my dad used to say to me. We all, we're all the same. We all eat, breathe, and shit. Um, right, yeah. You should treat everyone the same. We're only human. I think right. that kind of sort of sets the tone because I think we perceive now as humans sometimes people to be on pedestals or higher where most people are good people and they don't get above themselves. They're still very humble like yourselves and they're happy to help, you know, um, again, share some knowledge or talk about their own work. So that's a really yeah. nice approach that you've got. Where, think, go on. Yeah, sir, I was just going to say, yeah, I think it's uh... – the, the approach there is, is what matters of what I was saying of if you're approaching it in a, a respectful way, if you are, if you clearly outline that you are mindful of their time and you realize they might not be able to do it um, and you don't uh, contact it with almost some sort of entitlement that they should be coming on. Like there's no point in emailing someone that is going to be super busy and say, hey, I would love to have you uh, on my podcast. Can you do next Tuesday at seven? Cause I'm free then it's like people are just not going to respond to that of, of just being having some respect for it um and I think yeah the way you approach it people if they see that you're being respectful about it then people are more inclined to help sure sure because you got to you got to be um flexible as well you've got it's a two-way street at the end of the day and if you are approaching people with busy schedules and generally you know these people are researchers practitioners etc you're going to be busy whether it's clients whether it's research whether it's creating other material if you like um so yeah it's, it is it's always about having that respect for someone else's time regardless um of their position or their status if you like and then secondary you talked about you know when you do get a bit of a history i think that does have a bit of weight and a bit of clout in it like you said to maybe target people who are if I could use the words a little bit more prestigious or again, a little bit more time poor purely based on the fact of popularity and they've got a lot of things going, it definitely does help to be able to say, Hey, look, I really love to have you on. Here's what I do. Have a little look at it. See if you like it. You know, they can get a bit of an idea and a taste for your style and, and perhaps, you know, listen to a few interviews and then that might help them make that decision and go, oh, okay, like this is good. That's actually something that they're taking seriously. They're getting some good information out there and yeah, I want to be a part of that. Um, but like you said, you just got to start somewhere, reach out, ask the question, be respectful. And then I guess it just builds up over time, right? Like anything, if you just invest and invest and invest organically, it will just grow into something, um, you know, that, uh, that comes quite, quite well. Right. Right. Completely agree with that. Um, now I wanted to seg segue and jump back to your coaching. Uh, you said you've got three employees. Is that right? That work for you currently? Correct. And you you coach a range of athletes. And I know we had a chat and you have an interest in the, the fighting side of things, right? Um, can you talk us through your coaching uh, a little bit, how you kind of, I guess, approach things, how you like to coach uh, clientele? Is it just online? Do, you, do some of your coaches... Do they do one-on-one? -on -one? Do you still do any coaching yourself? And and again, your your main niche client, you've obviously got a variety, but is there any, uh, apart from fighters, that sort of niche clientele that you, you tend to gravitate towards? Yeah, sure. So um, to piece through some of that, uh, my work personally, uh, like I mentioned, was with a lot of these um, MMA athletes, boxers, and so on. Um, right now, I think I, I may have mentioned you have been able to get my, basically my client list down to zero just purely because I don't have time to, to coach one-on-one uh, -on -one at the moment uh, with other projects going on. So 
our other coaches work with anyone from what you might define as like general population and are just trying to improve body composition, get healthier and so on, all the way up to a lot of competitive uh, strength athletes would be kind of one of those niche groups you mentioned. So we deal with quite a lot of powerlifters right now, uh, some that are competing at a world level. We've got a couple of world record holders, um, some medals to IPF world, stuff like that, all the way down to people doing their first meet. Um, we So that'd be kind of one group then our probably main for our one-on-one -on -one coaching, uh, I would say that uh, that kind of subgroup would be people who are just maybe not even competing in a certain sport, but have an intense interest in their own health and body composition. And they, for whatever reason, have decided that getting some help in this area is going to be a good thing, which we obviously agree with. Um, but it, it tends to be, yeah, people that might have, uh, a busy job or have all this other stuff going on in their life but still are able to carve out the time or, or want to carve out the time to be able to be healthier um, and so we've a few different groups like that but our approach is centered around having a kind of a, a set core philosophy I guess but that becomes very flexible depending on the individual we work with yeah. so we'll have an initial starting point that looks similar of trying to assess what they're currently doing and it essentially it, it's trying to look at okay what is that person's current nutrition and lifestyle habits look like where do they want to go in terms of what their goal is what would the habits and lifestyle they would need to have in order to get to that point and then just look at the discordance between that and what they're currently doing and when wow. you work quite out that what is now you can clearly see okay here's the things that need to be changed and you can start thinking uh, or prioritizing, okay, which ones do we need to change first? Which ones is the first target to change? And then over time, you're going to attempt to do those. And then once you've identified that, that's where the actual coaching process comes in. And I think people forget sometimes that most often the coaching element is nothing to do with specific foods you prescribe or showing someone how to do a specific exercise. They're like tiny percentages of what coaching actually is. The rest of it is that kind of Number one, that human element of supporting them, feeling like they are supported. And then the other of um, being a problem solver, being able to see, okay, here's the issues we need to try and change. Here's their kind of personal circumstances. And how do we overcome some of these challenges to lead to these better habits? Um, so if then if we're talking about the specific process we typically have, we will have an initial consult with a client collect as much data as we can uh, that's typically done via like something like a skype call uh, we will set out then the kind of first week is almost more data collection of getting them to start logging food or keeping a food diary so we can assess that looking at their activity habits and so on and then from the first week they will do a check-in so we have some set things that we ask them to report back to their coach at the end of every week and then based off that we will give a couple of action steps for the following week that we want them to follow. They will each day be logging certain pieces of information that we want. Um, and that's where the individually individuality comes in. For some people, it might be specific calories and macronutrients that they're logging along with their training and their body weight. For other people, it might just be how many high protein meals are they eating, how many steps did they get in today and so on. So it can vary wildly, but we're collecting metrics to see are they uh, progressing in certain actions that we want them to follow and then from there it's, it's kind of tweaking that from each week to, to make sure we're continuing uh, the process and probably uh, one of our biggest things is having uh, doing that on a weekly basis but in the back of our mind having a long-term plan of what we're trying to do with someone so we're not just trying to say okay we're going to bring you in start dieting you and diet you continuously until you get to whatever point you're finished yeah instead of having a plan of okay we're going to aim for a block of time where we're going to be focused on this goal we might then transition to a week or two where we're coming back off the diet maybe we're going to go into a, a phase then where you're aiming to improve your performance and not be dropping weight and then we can go back into a dieting block there's an endless number of ways we can set it up but having that long-term plan in mind and then each week delivering that in a kind of weekly way so um i don't know if that answered your question but I think I tried to get through as many of them as I could and that gives you an idea of what we try and do but I'm happy to get into any specifics.
Sure. Yeah, no, definitely. I will I will dig into a few areas there. No, but that was a good overview. Danny, thank you. That's exactly what I was after. Um, a bit more of a detailed response and, and going through it because a lot of the initial questions you kind of answered as you went through. Um, I think um, one key thing I want to dig out initially is you said problem solving. Um, that's great. I think the art of being a good coach oftentimes is getting person, you know, uh, uh, from point A to point B. And uh, as we know, we don't work in a straight line. It never is. It's always up and down. But it's being able to navigate that person through that map, if you like, and looking at all those areas and all those elements. And I think that's why, you know, with your programming and your prescription, you've got, like you said, you start with a foundation. And then from there, it, it gets very individualized because we all live different lifestyles. I think it's funny because we think the training and the nutrition is the most complex, which it certainly can be. But oftentimes, it's actually trying to identify what's going on in the lifestyle uh, and then in congruence with that then going okay well let's look at any training and nutrition protocols and strategies we can align which match up with that and, and then go through so i guess the first question i want to ask is with these systems that you've created have you developed them yourself with these coaches and do you use your own templates do you use systems like excel etc or are you using another and a software, et cetera, because I know a lot of coaches are always looking for something which can take the workout, but still being able to personalize the systems and uh, the periodization, which you did mention as well, which you might dive into um, for your for your athletes and clients, like, but then making it user friendly. So yeah, can you talk us through some of the software or how you, you structure your programming specifically for your clientele? Sure. So we collect those metrics and they will log them in um, what we develop as the Sigma tracking tool, it's basically done in Google Sheets. Um, so we will have each client when they sign up, they'll be assigned a their own folder within uh, G Drive. So then as they update things in there and we update things on our end, it immediately will reflect on the other end without having to be sending spreadsheets back and forth. So we use uh, Google Sheets for collecting their data. Uh, we can see those, we can add little comments to it uh, within their folder. Then we, we may also upload uh, certain files or PDF or Word doc about a specific piece of information for them. Um, so it's just been over time, we've tweaked and developed these ourselves. Um, yeah. And we may have like information sheets as well that we can show them or give them samples of meals, whatever it is. And we can, depending as that person needs it, we can send that across to them. Um, there will also be an ability for them to submit questions. Uh, so for our one-on-one -on -one coaching uh, group, they can email across their coach a question, of course, anytime. We have another uh, coaching program where we essentially look at after a lot of powerlifters specifically. Uh, that's more of like a guidance program where it's not the full-on intensive coaching you get one-on-one, -on -one, but it's kind of a, a guiding hand along. So for, for people like those, they can submit questions into their uh, Google Drive folder. And then once a week, we'll come along and be able to answer all them. Um, so we've mainly managed it that way. I do know there's probably plenty of pieces of software that do all those things. Um, but we have essentially a nice system set up through those at the moment where we can see everyone in a dashboard and all their folders separately, get them to upload whatever it is we need them to upload. They can add in progress pictures in one folder, they can pull the tracking sheet out, they can go and look at documents or answers to questions um, uh, in another. So that's what we've been using and we find it pretty useful. Um, so yeah, I think that's, is that yeah. any answer question? No, that's good, that's good. Um, there is, there's a lot of tools out there and now we have a lot of free tools available. I know Google Docs has been a bit of a revelation for myself something that i've started using especially coming on board at a new facility and as you mentioned it's very user-friendly because you can keep everything separate and you can really customize it sometimes i i have found with you know pre-existing systems or softwares there is a limiting factor not only i think financially because sometimes you end up spending too much money and it's not worth it but then you can't actually create the spreadsheets or derive the information that you need from your clients and you mm. can't personalize it so um 
I think it's good, I guess, that you found a system that works and then you're constantly refining it as well over time right. uh, with your clients. And um, you mentioned, you know, you got your one-on-one um, coaching clients where they can answer, uh, ask those questions and you get back to them once a week. Do you find that uh, for most of your clients in person exclusively and online, do you touch base once a week, uh, twice a week, or does it, is it, is it different for every athlete or do you generally have like a, like a, for example, someone who's a powerlifter or a physique athlete who's coming into prep or a fighter, would you touch base with them more often? And then mm. do you have like a general sort of population where you go, okay, we, we run an off season or we're in a, you know, an accumulation block where you touch base with them, um, you know, within a time frame of two weeks in a month, is that something you do? Mm. Has it worked, et cetera? Can, can we talk a bit more about those specifics? Sure. Sure. So on, Average, our, our kind of standard baseline is that there will be uh, once a week, there is a weekly check-in. Um, so this will be where um, someone will have to submit certain information that, that we request them to submit each week. Um, this is, usually is done by like a Sunday evening. So they can do it anytime from Saturday to Sunday mm-hmm. um, so that then the coach can get to that first thing on Monday. Um, we can, we've also been able to stagger that throughout the week as well. So different people may have a different check-in day depending so we can spread that workload out. Um, But they'll have a weekly check-in where they submit that. Um, For our uh, one-to-one coaching clients, they can send questions throughout the week. We do have kind of a general rule that you can send one email per day. That is mainly to make sure the quality of the questions is good. If people start using it like an instant messenger service, you get really poor quality questions, especially now people can send an email from their phone. If they have a, a, a restriction on how much they can send, they tend to stop and think for a minute. And then they may have a, a nice concise list of the things they actually want to know. And as they're typing out, they may realize, hey, I, I don't actually need to know this. Or if they thought about it for two minutes, they actually know the answer already. Yeah. So having that restriction just makes the quality of answers better. Um, so they can ask questions throughout the week. And then the intensive nature of that in terms of coaching contact time just scales depending on the person so someone that is starting out brand new will obviously require a bit more attention because they'll have more initial questions they'll need to be taught through certain things a bit more Uh, the way you explain how to actually put an action into place is going to take a lot more time whereas we've had clients that have been with us for actually multiple years at this point where they literally sometimes they're checking like everything is all good it's progressive fine don't need anything for the next week and then it, it could be like a five minute thing where someone right. else you could be spending yeah you could be spending hours with, with someone else but just knowing that on the average it should probably balance out right that the balance between those different types of clients and over time that client that's taking a lot of time now will take less and less as they get more skilled and more educated through the coaching process um, so that's the way we typically do it. And the same, yeah, if we have a, a combat sport athlete or a powerlifter coming to the week of competition, we'll obviously be able to interact with them a lot more. We'll be able to talk to them, do phone calls, multiple days leading up to the weigh-in, things like that. Um, so it all scales depending on the person and then hopefully balances out on average so we can manage our time effectively. Um, so we aim for, for that type of, of contact time and let it scale based on the person's needs uh, within certain parameters, of course, that it's not getting too crazy. So, no, I like it. Like, uh, I guess you could say you're setting expectations as well and having yes. some structure, which not only is efficient for your own time management, but again, also the client, because as you said, with technology being so good and advanced, you know, we can messenger, we can send emails off our phone. I think it is important, especially when you, you know, you're at a stage where you build momentum, you know, you've got a lot of clients coming in, you need to be able to manage the systems. And I think a lot of the time that's where things fall down. The, the, the systems have not been put in place, the foundations, and then the coach gets overwhelmed, the quality drops, therefore the clientele drops and the results and it's a vicious cycle. So I think it is important to talk about those little specifics and key elements. And I think that's good um, as a takeaway for people who are listening uh, more on the, I think in the coaching realms, to maybe identify those things and to be able to go forth successfully um, and derive quality. And on that topic, quality over quantity, do you have a cap 
of clients that you work with per athlete or per coach? Um, and how do you facilitate that? For example, you mentioned you have a lot of uh, long-time clients. Obviously, uh, you know, you reward loyalty. They are generally easier to manage. Mm. Do you think that, like, would you have a waiting list uh, for, for people that when you get full, what, what do you cap your numbers at? And um, again, <laughs> maybe a big question, but we'll add it on there because I think it sort of leads on is client retention. What do you find aids client retention uh, if and so when it's needed? Because obviously people get to a point where they are quite competent and they can go out and do what they need to do. But again, maybe the right. goal is show. Maybe talk us through those three points uh, if possible, Danny. Sure. So on the uh, client retention one, I think um, the biggest thing is developing a relationship between the coach and the client by far. People will much more likely stick around when they have a, a relationship that they feel this person respects them, supports them, and is actually cares about what they're doing, as opposed to an email that comes through just with numbers. Um, yeah. So that relationship matters a lot more. So that is the biggest thing that will help. If someone is obviously feeling like they are on the right road and progressing, that is a pretty good sign. And that they are, have found a method that is suitable to them so they feel that they can still live their life to some degree if they feel like it's taking away from all other areas of life to try and do a certain type of diet for example then after a period of time like look this is not worth it i'm just going to get out of here if you're a type of coach that can help them you do all the things they want to do within their life and still be uh feeling like they're making progress and still uh, be getting to where they want to go then that's more likely to stick around um beyond that then we like to get to the point where people feel like they don't actually need coaching anymore right that's the that's the ideal place where you want to quote unquote lose a client you don't want to lose one because they don't feel like they're getting somewhere or they don't feel a rapport with you but you do want to lose a client when they say look everything is going well i've got all these really good habits i feel like i don't really need to touch base as often you would have yeah. and you will have noticed this over time like over maybe the last couple of months that their check-ins get shorter and shorter because they don't really need much. They almost can answer their own questions. Or they don't need to, they, they're not asking as many. And they kind of cool with what, where they're at and they can kind of manage everything. And when you're at that point, that's that's the goal really. Like that's the end point. That's where you're aiming to get people to. And so in that case, you don't want to retain them. You want them to be able to say, okay, Go about do whatever and maybe they decide every few months they might want to just do a one-off consult with you just to see what they're doing is okay or maybe down the road they'll have a specific goal maybe they'll be training for an iron man or something and then they'll come back but the goal is for them to move on so um i it just comes down to the human connection and the the actual rapport and relationship you build with them that's the that's the number one thing that's going to lead them better attention that you can retain clients for as long as they need it. Yes. Um, the, what was the second question after retention? So, no, no, you're right. So client retention and then talking about, I guess, when you're programming for a client, um, looking at the segregation between, I'm just trying to articulate in this, mm. this question in the right way. So it's a bit more specific. <clears throat> oh, that's right. Um, you, you obviously have more serious athletes who are coming into like a specific competition preparation period, and then you have more generalized clients, I imagine. Mm. What are the, the cap numbers per coach? Like, what have you found sure. to be the maximum? Because obviously, when you're doing mm. specific comp prep for fighters, it's a lot more intensive. It takes a lot yeah. of time. Um, how have you, have you managed that? And obviously, over time, you figured out right. what works and what doesn't, just to keep the quality. Right. Had sure. Doing? Exactly. So with that, I don't think a specific number makes too much sense for that reason that you said, because depending on their current roster of clients, some of them might be taking more, some of them might have big competitions coming up. Um, sometimes it's a, they have a less time. And then also with our coaches, they have other stuff going on that takes time. So for example, one of them is currently uh, finishing his PhD. So that obviously, depending on the stage that he's in with his studies, his workload that he can take and so effectively coach people will fluctuate a bit. So the way we work it is when we have a new application come in, I will reach out to uh, uh, one of the coaches, see 
how they are in terms of their current workload. Do they have the capacity to work with this type of client? We'll look through their application and see would they be in a position to be able to take them if that person did decide to sign up. And if so, then they will make contact, go through a consultation call, and then if that person decides to sign up, they will take them on. If that is, they don't have the time uh, to do a really good job with that specific type of client, then I will talk to one of the other coaches and we'll see who has the time to work with those people. And if it's a case where no one does, then we will either, uh, again, like you say, you can do a waiting list of say, we can contact you again once one of our coaches are free, or if they have a specific goal and they really want coaching immediately, then I've been able to refer to other people multiple times. It's like, here's someone else that I recommend that works with this type of athlete. Uh, so I'll, I'll have a few names that I know are good in certain areas and say, this person might be able to help. Um, so generally we've been able to manage numbers based on that of really number one, making sure that the coach has the adequate time. Um, and like we said, that number will fluctuate up and down throughout the year based on what their current projects they're working on outside of the coaching. And then also the types of clients they currently have and how intensive they are. Um, and then obviously like the time of year. So recently, for example, one of our coaches had a, a ton of people that he was uh, doing nutrition for that had Irish powerlifting nationals all at the same time. Yeah. So around that time, in the few weeks leading up to that, we're not going to be burdening him. Well, like, here's a ton of extra coaches because he's like, just too busy at that time. So it's more on a fluid basis like that. So I, we don't have any specific numbers. It's more based on, do you have time to do a good enough job? Yeah, I like that approach. It's it's much more natural and, and probably real life. Because like you said, it does range. Uh, there's no general population so to speak and the fact that again it's everyone's very different and depends on not only the lifestyle of your client but your coaches as well like you said if some of them are coming into a specific preparation period or they've got competitions or whatever it is that's happening in their life you don't want to sacrifice just taking a number or taking an income um in spite of you know reducing quality so i, I really like that approach Danny. i think it's really good i think that's what we need more of in the industry again you know raising that standard and knowing that it's okay to say, you know what, I don't have anything right now. There is a waiting list or again, um, referring out to other like-minded professionals, which I think is a smart way to do it as well. Um, just to build relationships, not only with, um, you know, your fellow coaches and your clients, but other like-minded practitioners, because I think there is strength in numbers, especially within the niche, you know, that we work in uh, these days. There's a bit of a segregation. Um, going back to what you very first um, said uh, at the start of that three-part question, well, I like how you said building relationships with people, um, being human, you know, actually caring. I think this comes, we've talked a lot about this um on the podcast with a few other guests and it's like okay what are the basics of being a good coach be a good human right listen to people you know identify their goals build some report build some relationship be um not robotic in what you do and if you feel if they feel like you care about them then generally again they will stick with you etc and then going over you said you know retention wise i think it's good to aim to you know you want a client to get to a point where they can almost fly if you like you know they can leave the nest they can do what they need to do because it means as a coach your role has been somewhat fulfilled um, i think if you don't teach anyone anything over time um like some of um online cookie cutter courses etc you know people just keep coming back and paying because they just go through the course get the results fail put on the weight or whatever it is go back to square one uh, it's a good business model uh, for making money, but it's not ethical. Uh, it's not teaching anyone anything. Where I guess working at it from a more evidence-based, with an anecdotal, you know, having that balance of experience and actually educating clients, you're providing so much more value. And oftentimes, people will come back again if their goals changed. Uh, they'll also refer clients onto you. And I think it's just a win-win for all parties. And like you said, that journey is different for everybody. Mm -hmm. Some people will pick it up very fast. Um, I guess a couple of real-life examples. I've got a friend of mine. He's German, um, and he's uh, he's an engineer. <laughs> Go figure. And right. he's very, very, very intelligent. Um, he picked up the training protocols and nutrition super, like the quickest I've ever seen it. And within a month, he's just he's got it. Like he's just it's perfect the questions of he doesn't even have any and 
And then again, some people, you know, it takes a lot longer and there's no right or wrong, but again, that's just the difference, right? And that's probably what makes coaching so fun is that the knowledge for the most part will remain the same. Obviously, research is always updating or I'm always trying to improve, but the foundations were always set, but it's again, you know, getting that client, okay, well, how are we going to move through that process? How are we going to move through those systems, solve the problems, get to the end goal, um, which I think is, is really great with coaching. So, um, yeah, I think there's some really great points you make there, um, not only for maybe people listening who are clients uh, who have other coaches and, and they're on the end, uh, on the, uh, sorry, they're on the other end of it, um, but then also, you know, for other coaches who are perhaps wanting to improve and maybe self-check mm. as well, not saying that there's a right or wrong structure. Now, and the last sort of main topic I want to get into um, before we wrap everything up is we've touched on it multiple times um, over our conversation, and it's something that we talked about last time, and I did mention before we started I wanted to really sort of delve into it a little bit and get your opinion is talking about the lifestyle aspect of coaching which i feel and i think you agree is neglected in terms of what happens in your lifestyle is a direct correlation to the success that will be achieved or impacted within the training and nutrition and i think as you know someone who's coached many people like yourself um you often see that reflected in check-ins um, if there has been a drop-off or if there is a roadblock or something that needs to be overcame, it can often be related to something that's happened in their lifestyle, whether it's been a relationship, whether it's been, you know, they've been ill or whatever it is. Um, but I think now a lot of coaches are missing that or, or personal trainers are not facilitating that part. Whereas I think we need to pay more attention to that in terms of the way we approach our programming. So we should program based on, what's happening in their lifestyle. And again, to give a quick example for people who are not following, who are listening along, um, say I've got a client, Mary, she's 32, she has three kids, she's got knee pain, lower back, and um, she's working two jobs or whatever it may be. For me, and that's an extreme example, but for me to program her this amazing bodybuilding five-day split and getting her to track macros, etc., is probably gonna make her hate fitness. It's probably gonna set her up to fail. Uh, it's going to, if anything, demotivate uh, the client rather than identifying, okay, you know, she's got a lot of these obstacles. How can we program around and look at, you know, that first thing like adherence? Can you commit to just even two hours? Because mm. that's nothing. And just setting up those initial habits, starting with some easy wins and then building it up over time. So um, I guess the question is, Danny, what is your opinion on that? And maybe, I guess, if you can give us some anecdotal and, and real uh, life evidence from your experience mm. with coaching um, on that exact topic of lifestyle and motivation. Yeah, I, I think the thing with changing lifestyle, and why that's often our primary goal, is because any of the specific changes we want to make to someone's nutrient intake or training variables down the line, uh, the success of trying to change those is going to be predicated on what their kind of current lifestyle habits are so if the only thing you teach someone to do is hey i want you to hit these macros that's it they might be able to do that for a while but after they've learned no other skills of how to embed that into their life and it just is going to become pretty difficult to do if their typical lifestyle still involves being completely sedentary with no activity if they have tons of processed foods left around their house if they are regularly like going out on the piss three or four nights a week and eating like takeaways every night if they are things that are part of their lifestyle then just having these numbers and saying you just need to use willpower to restrict yourself to within these certain macronutrient ranges isn't going to work and it shouldn't be the goal to have someone know how to track a certain number of macros anyway so i think sure. this if you get someone be able to improve their overall sleep, make sure most of the foods within their home are minimally processed, decent foods, if they're generally trying to be a bit more active than they were, um, those things then make all the other stuff easier to do, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's why it's important to have that as the initial starting point. It kind of goes back to what we mentioned before of what are they currently doing? What habits and behaviors do they need to have and then what is the discordance between them and that's really the goal when we're talking about lifestyle what what are the things right now that they're doing that are not conducive to what goal they have 
what are those habits behaviors what does their lifestyle look like and then how do we change some of those the other part of it is looking at their typical lifestyle of things that we do want to keep in that we have to account for so what is their work schedule what activities do they like doing with their friends uh, what things do they like doing for fun right how can we say to them you can include some of these within reason and we'll try and build that in and still be making progress instead so of saying you can't do any of this stuff anymore because that's not really useful to anyone so it's it's taking that approach of seeing what stuff is important to them what stuff do they want to keep what stuff are they doing but they can accept getting rid of and then trying to move slowly in the direction of more and more good habits and then less of the things that are pulling them away from the goal so that's the, the and again it sounds a bit conceptual and maybe not so specific but i think that's the general way i think we should think about how do we create lifestyle change um and how that's going to lead to success if that makes sense no no it does and i, and I really love that because um you summed it up quite concisely because it can get very in-depth um with that element because it is such an intricate thing you know it's everything that happens within the six inches of our ears or whatever you want to call it uh, in that lifestyle is yeah it's so intricate because there's so much going on and again it's i think it comes back to problem solving right what we talked about before it's being able to identify and and maybe empathize with that person and i think a lot of it comes down to re-education sometimes too um because a lot of people think that you know I've got a goal A and they think they need to do Z. So those two things are not aligned. And if you say, well, first of all, okay, what do you want to achieve? Right, okay, well, this is what it's going to take. Oh, really? A lot of people don't know. They have this um, you know, misconceived idea and then you can have that conversation and put that onus on them in a way where it's, do you really want this? Yeah, okay, then, then here's a couple of ways we can approach it. Oh, no, that's not what you want. Okay, so you actually want this. Or, okay, so to get B instead of A, we have a different approach. And then sometimes even that alone is is that, oh, wow, what I thought I wanted versus what I wanted with two different things and then marrying the two together. And you talked about, you know, having that compromise where I use I use three keywords in my coaching and it's it, it's got to be flexible, it's got to be sustainable, and it's got to be enjoyable. And for me, if it doesn't meet that criteria, it's not going to be successful in the long term because, as you said, it's all well and good tracking macros. Uh, we use that as, a, as an example, uh, as you brought it up. I think it's a great one. But people don't actually see that the, the outcome of that. It is a tool. We have, as practitioners, we have tools and they should be used and implemented as and when, not just for the sake of having a tool. If I've got a hammer, it doesn't mean I'm going to go around and bang on every wall because it just doesn't work. You're going to end up destroying things. And I think that's why we see a lot of um, not only athletes, but general population struggle um, because they have mild eating disorders or the eating disorders are sometimes created by the very tools which are meant to help them because, right. again, they have this like black and white approach, right? It's a good, bad, clean, dirty, on the plan, off the plan, and that right there is, uh, uh, you know, a slippery slope. And I think setting those expectations and building good habits, as you mentioned earlier, I think that's where it really needs to stem from. So, um, yeah, I think he summed it up well uh, concisely and, and and the approach should be very much based around you know the individuality of your client and hey what can we get what are you willing to give up here's what we can actually keep in and then here's the here's the map of you know what can we actually do to do to get there so um th thank you for sharing that danny and it's good to hear it i think people need to hear it as well from someone who's a little bit more established and has worked with um you know a number of clientele and a variety of athletes now a couple of rapid fire questions um before the final question because um we are approaching the hour and i do want to be respectful of your time so these are a little bit more lighthearted. I'll, I'll ask you sort of um, three to four. They're, they're really quick. Answer them as honestly and as quickly as you can. They're a bit of fun. Um, and uh, I guess we'll just uh, find out a little bit more about Danny Lennon, uh, what he likes, okay. who he is, and maybe the thought process. So the first one uh, is if you could have a superpower, what would it be and why? Oh, man. <laughs> to think about this one there's so many <laughs> I'm, I'm sure i would change depending on when you ask me but yeah probably sure. something like 
freeze time seems like a good one. Yeah. Just yeah. not to even do anything crazy, but most <laughs> often when it would be nice if when you're faced with a decision that's time pressured, if you could just like pause for a second and breathe and think through stuff, that usually works out well. Yeah. So maybe that type of superpower would come in handy. That uh, if I really got into a sticky situation, I could pause and have a think. So I'm, a, I'm much better when I can think through stuff. For sure. Uh, as opposed to just act impulsively. So <laughs> I'll go with that one, maybe. Sounds good. So these questions are not the best, then, are they? <laughs> no, that's good. There's, there's uh, I guess, uh, it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting question uh, that would definitely change depending on where, uh, you, where you are in your life. But I'd say mm. freezing time would definitely come in handy. Um, okay, so second question. Uh, what, are, what are your favorite foods? If you had one last meal, uh, what would you choose to eat? Or if I could rephrase it, if you could only eat one food for the rest of your life, and we will go savory and sweet, one of each, so dinner and dessert, mm. what would you choose? What what does what's the typical cheat day, Danny, or cheat meal look like if you like, <laughs> or something you enjoy? Um, I, I I do like Italian food a lot, right. so I'd probably have to go with that. Although I don't know if I'd go every day eating it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd probably go Italian, and then for something sweet. I'll go with the Italian skin. I'll go with some gelato. Oh, I do like that. Yeah, yeah. I can eat that every day, no problem. I never get sick of it. So. For sure. Uh, that's a, so the... pasta and gelato. <laughs> Man after my own heart. I'd, uh, yeah. I agree. Uh, great minds think alike. It's funny because most people, Italian just is just phenomenally popular. Most people just Italian. Pasta, pasta, yeah. pasta. Yeah. Maybe they've it's, got it down, man. They do. Simple peasant yeah. food. Or maybe it's the carbs. I don't know. It's just all about the carb life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's just everything about it. It's so nice. Exactly. Uh, basics are the best, right? And my last rapid fire question is is a bit of a it's kind of a heavy one, but a light hearted spin on it. Do, do you think there is any life after life? Like, do you think uh, when we die we just disappear, or do you think there's something more? Uh, I don't think there is anything. Or I'll put it this way: I have no reason to believe that there is anything. For sure, for yeah. sure. Now that's good, and again, it's everyone's got a different perception and opinion, uh, and it, it's an interesting, right. it's a it's a thought provoking question, which is good. Um, yeah. And my last question, which is a little bit more serious, um, before we finish up, out of your experiences in life, Danny, um, can you identify a time or a a fear uh, that you had that you had to overcome in a scenario? Can you tell us if you feel comfortable sharing what the scenario was and how you benefited from overcoming that fear or that obstacle that held you back? Probably the most obvious one, um, at least externally that people would look at is when I was uh, teaching and decided to quit that to go back and do this nutrition thing. For sure. And then off the back of that, set up my own kind of business as opposed to go uh, get a job. Those are two yeah. typical things that I think a lot of people would find as uh, big, scary things to do. And, and they probably are, like they were big decisions. Yeah. But it's yeah. funny that at the time, they probably uh, didn't feel as, didn't feel as scary as maybe some people would think they were. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. that, that's often the case as you go through it, I guess. But yeah. I, would, I would say those, um, and I think the obvious benefit coming out of the back of it is kind of everything that's led from there would came from just taking that chance on it. And I think this kind of ties back in just at how I view people wondering about taking decisions and being fearful over something and not worry, or they're, they're worried that it's not going to be the right decision or what if it doesn't work out or what if everything goes wrong. And oftentimes, uh, the worst doesn't happen that taking a chance on something does work out but even if something if it doesn't work out or even if the worst case scenario happens a lot of the time it's pretty reversible in not as long as people think it would take mm-hmm. and so when you and that's actually something i think i took from tim ferris people can look this up he's a oh yeah uh, good. a tool called fear setting yeah it's a goal setting you essentially set up what does it you want to do, but then you go into vivid detail about what is the very worst case scenario that could happen if you tried this thing that you're going to do. And then you have to map out, okay, what steps would I take 
if the worst did happen. So let's say it's someone worried about starting their own business. And they're like, oh, I don't, I'm worried. I don't really want to do it because it's going to cost me this amount of money. If it fails, then I'm going to ha- have no money to pay rent, blah, 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 and all this type of stuff. That you, so you get really vivid and list out all the things that can go wrong. Yeah. And then you say, okay, to get back to it, what, how would you get back from there? And then people realize, well, I can move in with one of my friends for three months, six months, whatever. They save a bit of rent, start putting some savings together. I'd go back to this type of job. I'd be able to build up that way. And then before you know it, kind of six months later, you're no in, in no worse position than you kind of currently are. It sure. kind of takes yeah. away a lot of the fears that we have about making certain decisions. Absolutely. And so that was one of the things that helped me of like, yeah, you, uh, it's, things can be scary, but it'll probably be okay. Yeah. Yeah, and I like it. That that was very fitting that you brought up fear setting, you know, with fearless training, raw knowledge, and again, tying it into the question. So, touche there, my friends. Touche. <laughs> I wish I could say it was purposeful. Yeah, no, but that's good. It's better that it was spontaneous. And uh, yeah. there was no scripts, guys. Uh, that was all natural. Um, <laughs> we, we didn't uh, pre-plan that one. Um, and for anyone uh, wanting to check that out, yeah, definitely Tim Ferriss. I think he's got some, some great resources, great knowledge, and um, he also runs a, a fantastic podcast as well um well thank you for your time danny i really really appreciate it one last thing before we go uh where sure. can people find you where is the best way to contact you um podcast etc um any any particular way you like people to reach sure. out if possible and where can they learn a bit more about danny yeah so it's probably the three ways that people might want to know first is just a website which pretty much has everything that's just sigmanutrition.com for sure uh, second if they want to listen to the podcast then on pretty much any app they can find it's iTunes Spotify whatever uh, just Sigma Nutrition Radio beautiful and then if they're looking for social media then they can find me easily on any of those um, Instagram handle is Danny Lennon underscore Sigma uh, Twitter is Nutrition Danny, and then Facebook they can find either the Sigma Nutrition page or my own personal account there as well by popping in my name. And yeah, they can contact me whatever way uh, suits out of all of those, and happy to take any questions or comments or anything like that. Beautiful, beautiful, and uh, I'll make sure I put all those links in the in the show notes as well for people listening um on the itunes podcast and uh, obviously for people getting the snippet on youtube there'll be links to the full episode as well so danny thank you once again for your time i really appreciate it thank you for sharing your knowledge thank you for sharing you know how you got into things and, and talking about some topics which i think are quite important um keep doing what you're doing um I personally believe, you know, you, you're running a great podcast. It's very professional. It's very high quality. You're sharing a lot of useful information, not only for coaches and practitioners, but I think for the general population who has that growing curiosity and wants to just learn a little bit more as well. So keep doing your thing. Keep increasing that industry standard. Um, uh, and yeah, and perhaps maybe we'll do a round two at some point if I'm in your neck of the woods. Um, if you're open to doing that, it'd be great because I think we can uh, we can unbottle a lot more great topics if you like yeah, yeah. Sure, sure thing man happy to do it and uh, yeah thanks for the conversation today no absolutely my pleasure Danny and uh, for all those watching please uh, tune in uh, next time and uh, any previous episodes you can find on the podcast or in the YouTube notes and in the meantime as always stay fearless